Thank you. Thank you so much, Tembi. Um, let me lead us in prayer and then we'll have a look at Psalm 42 and 43 for the first time in this series of four. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity we have now, even though we, we can't be in the same room, even though we would love to be. We pray that you would be with us this morning, soften our hearts, and speak to us, each of us in our different contexts and different situations, different feelings, different responses to this lockdown and pandemic. And might your words work powerfully in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If I'm honest, one of the um, things that surprised me this last year, um, if I'm being completely honest, is the speed with which my feelings can change, my, my emotions can fluctuate. Have you found that maybe? Maybe it's the waking up and you feel pretty hopeful, you read your Bible cup of tea and then you click onto the BBC News app and you feel that hope drifting away again. But maybe it's the adrenaline rush of firefighting and problem solving and then the dip afterwards when you finally get a chance to breathe. Maybe just suddenly from nowhere, a, a lowness or a hopelessness or a darkness. Asking the questions, how, how long is this going to go on? How, how long can we cope with this going on? Did you know something of those pendulum swings, the highs and the lows, the mountains, the valleys, the emotional whiplash? Well, I don't know if you spotted it as Tenby read for us, but that's why Psalm 42 and 43 has been such help to me um, over these last few weeks. And indeed, we, why we as a church will be in it for the next few weeks. And these two Psalms, 42, 43, they sit together as a couple. They may well be Psalms that you're familiar with. And yet the thing that I found especially striking when I've studied them recently is, is the way I think they resonate with this season, not just the pendulum swings and the ups and the downs and the mountains and the valleys. But it's suggested there are four main reasons that the Psalmist is struggling so much. And so I just want to show you initially um, this morning, um, those four reasons, and so try and persuade you why it will be worth our time to dig into them over the next few weeks. But then rather than wallowing in those four reasons of why he feels so low, actually to begin to see what he does about it. OK, so four reasons why the psalmist is so low, hopefully. There we go. The first one is that he feels far from home. At the heart of these psalms is this tension. There's a there's a forced absence. There's a distance that he's experiencing. The, the psalmist is painfully far away from the temple. And so he's away from God. He's away from the people of God. So maybe if you've got a Bible open in front of you, have a look down at 42 verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God, he says. Or 42 verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. What that means, is, it means he's in the very northeast of the country. He's not in Jerusalem in the south where the temple is, which means he can't go and worship. We don't know exactly why. Maybe he's been captured and in exile away from home. Maybe he's simply uh, out of town for an extended season. We, we don't really know. We, we do know he's not at the temple. And so in a real sense, he can't worship God. He can't meet with God. It's not the same for us. There is something different for us living this side of Jesus in the new covenant. We, 
We've been able to virtually gather in a reduced sense. Thank you, technology. Thank you, Zoom. Thank you, Zoom commanders. Thank you for all those who have advised and helped us. But, but maybe we know this online virtual gathering or even an in-person gathering where we can't really sing. It's not the same, is it? It's not the way it's meant to be. Haven't we known something of that distance that the psalmist speaks of, the isolation? Something of the reality, perhaps, of feeling far from God at this time, because we've not been able to enjoy the, those means of grace that he's given us, as Andrew was praying. Does, does 42 verse 2 resonate with you in some sense, that grief that we're feeling? So he's far from home. There's the first one. Secondly, he's in the firing line. That is, there are opponents, there are unbelievers. There are those who are mocking him for his trust in God. So 42 verse 3, again, we saw it with the children. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Or 42 verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? I think this increasingly resonates in our days, doesn't it? Being a Christian, much more being an evangelical Christian, whatever that means, it is not simply a nice hobby for naive people who like that kind of thing anymore. But actually, it's seen as being dangerous. People accuse Christians of the Christian message of causing psychological damage. And it just takes a foolish click on the comments thread or a, a stray onto Twitter to read of the vitriol against Christians, the mocking of Christians who are seeking to trust God in the midst of the mess. I'm not convinced it's quite persecution yet in the West. But Christians have always had detractors, maybe even more so in a time of crisis when the temperatures turned up. Yeah, and we know that words are painful, don't we? We know the damage that words can do to us. Third one, and forgive the alliteration, this one is slightly shoehorned. Again, as we saw in the kids slot, he looks back to memories of better days. He looks back to festivals. He looks back to the time when he was at the temple and they remind him of what he's missing out on. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And maybe we do, as we were thinking a few minutes ago, maybe we do look back to gathering together and they bring us happy moments, happy memories, but also they bring us sad longings. Maybe we meet in masks and we're not supposed to sing and, and it reminds us of, of what we have got and we can do, but also what we haven't got and what we can't do. Far from home, firing line, festivals, but then actually to top it all off, the icing on the cake is he feels forgotten by God. He hasn't been, but it feels as if God has deserted him. Have a look at 42 verse 9, it encapsulates it really nicely. There's this tension there. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You see, he's his rock. He's trustworthy. He's solid. And yet he feels forgotten. Has it felt like that at all this last year? Our prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceilings. We're like, Lord, Lord, we've learned our lesson. Thank you very much. Um, 
can you sort it now, please? It cries out to God. And that's something that we Brits can be very bad at if you are British. We, we work out a plan of action. We keep calm and carry on. We have the stiff upper lip. We, we're not so good at crying out to God. We're self-sufficient. And yet the psalmist laments. There'll be some more on that next week. It's more than just a, a lament, though, of the psalmist. These guys, if you look in the, um, the heading of 42, you see that they were the sons of Korah. They were Korahites, which means essentially they were a worship team in the temple. Which means that these psalms are not just simply individual songs sung by a person in their bedroom, but it's actually the community singing it. God's people together crying out to God, asking, Lord, where are you? Why have you forgotten us? Which I think means that Psalms like this are for people like us at times like this. Because I think those four resonate, don't they? He feels far from home. There's a distance, isolation. He feels in the firing line. The words of others hurt. He looks back at festivals and they bring joy, but they bring longing. And then he feels forgotten. And yet I don't want to stay there this morning. I don't want us to wallow there or dwell there because these Psalms do give us some amazing and helpful pointers as to how to help. What we're going to do over the next three weeks is to dig into each one of these next three um, more deeply and carefully. But what I'll do today is try and give you an overview taster to show something of where we're going to go and show something of how these two Psalms help us. So it'll be a brief one today. And then we'll dig much deeper in the weeks to come. But I want to say before we jump in briefly, um, before we jump in, there is a warning here. I think perhaps it's another reason why these psalms resonate. And the warning is it is messy. There are ups and downs and mountains and valleys and there is emotional whiplash. And it does feel like one verse to the next and you're up and you're down and there's a famous refrain running through the two psalms, and maybe you spotted it as Tembi read it for us. It's, it's a verse that's repeated three times. If you've got a Bible in front of you, why not have a look down and see if you can spot it? If you're kids and you've got one of the printout, the handout to help you as you work through the sermon, why not see if you can spot where the repeated verse is? But have a look down. So do you see it there? It's 42 verse 5. Let me read it for us. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And yet the weird thing, though, did you spot it? Is you get it again in 42 verse 11 at the end of chapter 42 or Psalm 42. And then you get it again in 43 verse 5. It's, it's as if the psalmist has pressed copy and paste and copy and paste. But what that means well, that refrain shows us something of what these psalms are about, but it also means that by the end, there is still that crying out to God. You don't get all the T's crossed. You don't get all the I's dotted. It's not all tied up and neat. He's hopeful. I think he's more hopeful. But he's still questioning his soul. It is still messy. It's not. It's not finished. And I think that's encouraging because that's not what life is like, is it? If you're looking for the answer this morning, if you're looking for the silver bullet of how we keep going through lockdown, 
I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Because I don't think that's how life works. And I don't think that's how these Psalms work. Life is more complicated than that. We are more complicated than that. There is progress. And he does give us these in three incredibly helpful pointers. So let's have a look at them. There we go. Number one. What's the first thing we should do? Remember to speak to your God. And we've already said that some of us struggle with this, maybe due to pride. We don't want to admit or show weakness or we like to put together a to do list. We like to try and solve the problem and sort it out. We keep calm and we carry on. Or maybe it's due to bitterness that suffering turns us from God rather than to God. Suffering turns us to self. We look inside for strength rather than looking to him for strength. Yet the psalmist shouts out, cries out, laments to God. Or, or maybe we think some of us think, well, how could God let us go through this? It, if he has, then maybe he's not there. Or maybe he's not good. Or maybe he's not powerful. And so I will try by myself. I will seek to solve this by myself. But that's not how many of the Psalms are supposed to work. There'll be much more on this next week. But these Psalms help us to cry out to God when times are tough. It was um, the early church father, Augustine, I've said this before at Magdalen Road, who said the Psalms in one sense are unique because they don't just speak to us, but they speak for us. They are God giving us words when life is tough. They help us to verbalise the life of faith. God gives us words from him to say to him when times are hard. I know that's why many of us will have spent times in the Psalms these last few months. Because the psalmists lament and the people lament and we lament. So what we'll see next week particularly, Magdalen Road, is that we must not forget to cry out to God. We must not remove him from the equation. Have you done that this year? Have you actually cried out to him? You know you can, don't you? You know he can handle it. He longs that we would. Actually, there are different ways that he cries out, if you look at, look at it more carefully. He cries out to him in pain. Get that again in 42 verse 2 and verse 9 and 43 verse 2. God knows already, but he wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to cry out to him. So he cries out to him in pain, but he also cries out to him for relief. You get it in 43, particularly you get it in 43 verse 1, vindicate me, my God. He's, he's asking for God to come and deal with the opponents. But then particularly in 43 verse 3, this is his kind of final petition. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. It's striking. This is actually where you get the petition to deal with the real problem, right near the end of the two Psalms. At the start, he is longing for God's presence, like a parched deer that needs water for life, that, that's on its, on its final breath and needs some sustenance. It needs water. But then it's only here in 43 verse 3 that he petitions God in the light of that longing for the presence of God. I think one challenge for me there is I suspect as a comfort loving Westerner, 
we might be much quicker to pray that. That God would come and send relief and solve our problems and sort out the mess. Whereas the psalmist is actually much happier to lament for longer. And the psalmist petitions. He petitions that he might worship again at the mountain, that he might be with God. And maybe that's another challenge as well. Actually, the challenge to those who want the gifts more than the giver, who want comfort rather than the one who gives comfort. to, We want what he gives to us rather than him. And yet fundamentally at the heart of these two, it's about a relationship with him, a life-giving relationship with him that the psalmist longs for. Maybe it's good to remember that we were made for relationship with him before anything else. That is fundamentally and foundationally what matters. The one key thing that the psalmist longs for is to be in the presence of God again. So, number one, remember to speak to God. Don't just talk about doing it, but actually do it. Maybe that's some homework this week. Maybe an opportunity to to cry out to God. If that's something that you are not familiar with or you've not done much or you can talk more about than you actually do. Maybe that's it. Opportunities to cry out to him. Speak to your God. The second one is remember to speak to yourself. And this is where this repeated refrain comes in so helpful. And this is where these two psalms are so often used. Let me look at 42 verse 5 again, or you can pick it up at 43 verse 5 or indeed 42 verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Again, we'll have more on this in a couple of weeks' time, but there was a famous pastor, preacher, author, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a classic book on spiritual depression that sprung off Psalm 42. And one of the key messages of the book is this. He says the psalmist's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Or as a slightly more modern writer, Paul Tripp puts it, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. Do you know that? You know, you know the power of your internal monologue? The things that you say to yourself are so powerful. And what this refrain says to us is we need not let our circumstances talk to us or or let our feelings dictate what we believe is true. I say that again. We must not let our feelings dictate what we believe is true. I wonder if actually one of the the vital aspects of the heart of these two psalms this idea of talking to ourselves, to tell ourselves what is true. Because friends, you cannot trust your feelings and I cannot trust my feelings. We must not listen to our feelings that they dictate what we think is true. We, we can't trust our hearts. And that is so important because we live in an age where how and what we feel is seen as so important and so vital. 
where feelings often unhelpfully can dictate our perception of reality, dictate our perception of who we are, dictate our perception of who God is. And yet three times here, the psalmist again and again and again takes himself in hand. He doesn't trust himself and he asks himself some stern questions. There must be a lesson there for us. So brothers and sisters, if you feel downhearted this coming year, as you no doubt will, just the reality of living in a broken world, as you feel downhearted, be deliberate, and be active and don't listen. Ask yourself those hard questions. Soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Where is your hope? Put your hope in God because there's always hope when our God is involved. He wins. He's he's not out of control. He's got this. Even though we may have questions. Even though what we are now experiencing might feel bad and, and doesn't resonate with what we know God is like. So we know the end of the story. We know that the tomb was empty. We know he will always keep his promises. We know that he will return. And we know, too, that there is hope for today and for this week and for this month, hope for the now. Because God is with us and he's not forgotten us. Which then leads us on to the final thing. So he speaks to God, he speaks to himself. But then finally. Do you see it? He remembers the big story. He remembers the big story. The daily forgetting the truth of the gospel story is a daily human condition. Don't you find that? You, you wake up in the morning and you need to remind yourself of reality again. And so just two things for us today to latch on to, because we have such a tendency to forget these things. But two things from these Psalms to latch on to that relate to the big gospel story that we are so prone to forget. The first one is that word hope again. One of the dangers of, of picking a psalm or two like this is that we firstly miss the context in the wider book of the psalms. Um, maybe this is a new thought for you, but when we read the psalms, it's not just a hymn book in, in random order or alphabetical order or thematic order, but there's a, there's a flow and there's a direction to the whole book, to all 150 psalms. If you were to jump into a helicopter proverbially and raise up above them, you would see that there's a trajectory going on. And so by the end of the psalm, Psalm 150, you can flick on if you like. It's all praise. Have you noticed that? It ends on a high. It ends on praise because that's where reality will end. And actually, by the end of these two psalms as well, things are looking up too. It's Even though it's not finished and it's not tidy, even though he's still far from home and in the firing line and he, he remembers the festivals and he feels forgotten, he still remembers truth. And in each repeated refrain, 42 verse 5, 42 verse 11, 43 verse 5, he will still praise his saviour and his God. It is still hopeful, both now and when he's back at the temple. Despite his current circumstances, he will praise. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. So friends, keep praising. Don't lose hope. I'm not talking primarily about the hope of a 
vaccine or hope in the NHS or governments or things like that, or even just hope in a, in a new season where there are a few more colourful flowers and a few more green leaves, good as those things might be, but actually hope in God. We can always praise him because of who he is and for all that we still have in him, even in dark times like this. Okay, so there's the first word, hope. The second word that I think relates to this big story, the story of the gospel, is the word sovereign. And that might be a strange word to pick, but did you notice 42 verse 7? Again, if you put your Bible down, maybe pick it back up again. Let me read 42 verse 7 to us. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Did you notice that word in there? It's a peculiar one. It's your waves and breakers. And of course, there'll be pastoral questions. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say that God is not sovereign. He's not in charge, even through dark times, even through dark psalms. Indeed, that is why the psalmist can cry out, because they know he's powerful, because they want him to intervene. Even in coronavirus, he has not stopped being in charge. I've listened to John Piker, Piper, American author, speaking on this verse. He preached it to his church a few years ago while he was still the pastor there. Um, I think it's quite moving. Let me just give you a couple of, um, a couple of paragraphs. He says this, all his crashing and tumultuous and oppressing and discouraging circumstances are the waves of God. He never loses this grip on the great truths about God. They are the ballast in his little boat of faith. They keep him from capsizing in the tumult of his emotions. Then he says this, oh, how many of you have learned this more deeply than I? Because of the waves that have broken over your lives. You have learned deeply that it is no relief to say that God does not rule the wind and the waves. He sees the sovereignty of God, his ability to even use dark things to bring about his plans and purposes. And that is why then he will petition in 43 verse 3, why he can speak of so much hope, why he will say, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God of my God. You see, in the midst of the mess, when we trust our feelings and we follow our hearts and those things dictate what we believe to be true. Then we're really heading for rocky ground. It's dangerous. But when we remember that we can put our hope in God and that he is. He is sovereign and in charge and able, then we will remember to praise him. And you see, then. Then we fast forward a few hundred years. And we meet a king in a garden. In the darkness. In desolation, crying out to his God, to his father. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of pain. In the midst of opponents mocking him. In the body about to be far from his father in heaven, forgotten, forsaken. And indeed, he was utterly cut off. He was distanced. 
he was far away. That even though we might feel like we are in reality, we never will be. In love for people like you and people like me, Jesus died on the cross. He was distanced. He was forgotten. He was forsaken. That we might know the reality of God with us. That we might know him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you'd help us. Help us particularly with the three things the psalmist does as he speaks to you. Help us to be those who who do not turn from you, but turn to you, and indeed who turn to you and are honest and truthful and are open about how we're doing. Help us to speak to ourselves, as the psalmists do here. Help us to not believe our feelings. Might they not dictate our truth? And so help us then to remember the gospel story, to remember the hope that we have because you are a God who keeps his promises, to remember the hope that we have because you are a God who is sovereign and in charge. Help us to keep looking to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.